The season of the Passover, much later on in Christianity, became known as Easter. Easter. A lot of people don't know why it's called Easter. So I should explain for just a minute that Easter is actually a transliteration of the word Ishtar. And Ishtar was a pagan goddess. Because as Christianity progressed, it sees the opportunity to be validated and affirmed by the political regime that was Rome. And with the conversion of a Roman emperor to Christianity, you now had a fusion of Christian faith with political power. You know politicians, they in it for votes. And to get the votes, you got to get the people on side. So they said, you go ahead and keep all of your gods. Just call them Christian names. And you can pray to St. Peter. You can pray to St. Paul. You can pray to Michael. You can even keep the great mother of the gods. And you can pray, but just call her Mary. So pagans got comfortable with the new rendition of Christianity. Until today, Easter is about bunnies Cadbury's cream eggs. Fried fish. She's got to eat fish at Easter. But they didn't eat fish on the first Passover. They ate roast lamb. Sorry to all the pescatarians that are here today. We love you. All are welcome. They ate roast lamb because they were remembering the night that God liberated his people by the blood of a lamb. And it is our job to put Christ back at the center of the celebration. Now, I'm not the spooky guy who thinks that Easter eggs are demon eggs. 
I'll have your Cadbury's cream egg any day of the week. But it, it behoves us to put Christ at the center of the celebration. <laughs> Call it what it is, the Passover. Everyone say the Passover. That's the last supper Jesus had with his disciples. The Hebrews call it, the Jews call it a Seder dinner. And every item on the plate was designed to remember the, the bitterness in Egypt, the pain of their past, the promise of God, and the power of God that delivered them. It was about remembrance. God said, I don't want a year to go by in your life without you remembering how bitter it was. Where you came from, what you came through, how you came over. And child of God, don't let a year pass you by without you remembering where you came from, what you came through, and how you got over. Otherwise, you become ungrateful. Start feeling like it's our job to make you praise. End up folding your hands and singing in yourself we shall not, we shall not be moved. Your favorite verse becomes, none of these things move me. And you stagnate and you crystallize and you become a monument when God wants you to be part of a movement. Remembrance. Some things we should forget. Some things we can never forget. And we must never forget that the sacrifice of Jesus made the relationship with God possible. Oh, yeah. Don't forget that the presence of God under the old covenant killed people. Why? Because sin comes into contact with holiness. Sin's going to die. The presence of God terrified people in the Old Testament. People hid from it, ran from it. Moses' first miracle was to turn the water into blood. In other words, kill all the fish. I know some people think, oh, the water turned red. No, it didn't say red. It said blood. His first miracle was to kill all the fish. 
Jesus' first miracle was to turn water into wine. It's red, but it represents celebration, joy, liberation, happiness, merriness. Because the presence of God through Christ brings life. Like you don't have to run or hide from God. Wish I had some help in here. And you can come just as you are. Like I did 30, let me figure this out now, 40 years ago, I came to Christ. Can I keep it real this morning? I wasn't born and raised a Christian. Hello? I came to Christ 40 years ago with Rizla in my back pocket. Trying to figure out what is Rizla. A bag of old Holborn in another pocket. And a three pound drawer of weed in the other pocket. Sorry for any of the. Uh, any of the uh, native Brits gear gear that's what I had pot gear and I came to church for all the wrong reasons hello so you came to church you must have been seeking God no I was not seeking God Gala. <laughs> translation <laughs> but as the songwriter said I went to a meeting one night y'all better stick with me I went to a meeting one night my heart wasn't right but something got a hold of me now I got no regrets. I said I got no regrets. Since I met Jesus Christ, I can say I have no regrets. The only thing I would have done different is make my decision just a little bit sooner. Since I met Jesus, I can say I have no regrets. Exodus 12, we begin reading from the 24th verse. The 24th verse, Exodus 12. Exodus 12, 24. Are you ready? Are you sure? Because I need you to see the scriptures. Very important that you see the scriptures, that you get the scriptures. When I was a, a child, we brought big Bibles to church. Now we have devices. And we have screens. I'm in Exodus 12, verse 24. And you shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when ye be come to the land which the Lord will give you. According as he has promised, 
that you shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? Now, of course, this is God saying, This meal, this Passover meal, you must have it every year. You must keep it every year. And he says, You and your sons forever. And it will come to pass when your children say to you, what mean ye by the service that you shall say? It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. It is the what? It is the what? It is the what? It is the sacrifice. And let's just keep it real. There is no success without sacrifice. They, they are two sides of the same coin. Like you achieve nothing meaningful in life without giving up some time. Letting go of some things in your mind so you can focus. Giving up energy. Sacrifice. Leaving the past behind is a sacrifice. sacrifice of the Lord's Passover who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses and the people bowed the head and worshipped and the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron so did they verse 29 and it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne. Unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon. And all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose in the night. He and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was, there was a great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house where there was not one dead. All the people said amen. So I'm going to speak into our collective consciousness from the subject. Let's save the firstborn. Let's save the firstborn. Let's pray. Sweet Holy Spirit of God, thank you for the word of the Lord. It is rich and nutritious to our soul, to our mind. Thank you for this Resurrection Sunday and for the Passover paradigm that is elevating our understanding and helping us to see more clearly than ever before from new perspectives. Now speak to us concerning the life of the firstborn. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's save the firstborn. Now I will admit to you that when I first became aware of this story, I thought that the babies in Egypt were dying on that night. That was my thought. 
I thought the Egyptians got up in the morning, looked in the cot, and the babies had died. But it doesn't say the babies. It says the firstborn. This means that adults had died. Men had died. But not just any man. The firstborn. And the firstborn in ancient culture represents something significant. Because the firstborn inherits the birthright. The birthright makes the firstborn the legal successor or heir to his father's estate. To his father's responsibilities to his father's business and to his father's blessing. Every firstborn in the ancient world was the legal heir to an estate, to a responsibility to a business and to a blessing. Every firstborn. Which means that the firstborn was trained in ways that the others were not. The firstborn was designated a leader from the get-go. Which means we're going to teach you from young how to lead. We're going to show you how to run the estate. Manage the estate. We're going to show you how to balance the books. We're going to show you how to manage staff. We're going to show you how to discharge your responsibilities. And you are not allowed to forget that you are next. So where is the second born could get away with stuff? Not the first born. The second born could be late, not the first born. Second born could miss school, not the first born. And if the second born and the third born misbehaved, who's taking the beating? The first born. Because you are responsible for your brother's bad behavior. Because some of you are saying, that's, that's, my, that's my life story. Most of my licks was because of them. <laughs> this is how it was in the ancient world. 
you are set apart. Now, we do have a huge illustration here in the United Kingdom. And don't make me call names. But we got one young man writing his story saying I was a spare. Because they never treated me the way they treated him. Because he was born an heir to the throne. So he was groomed. He was nurtured. He was educated. He was trained. It was drilled into his head. You will one day sit on this throne. And your brother can get away with things that you cannot. If he does it, we'll frown. If you do it, the belt is coming off. Because you are the firstborn. You must get it in your head as early as possible that you are going to run the show one day. That the future of our kingdom is in your hands. I wish I had some help in here. The future of our kingdom. Not just the kingdom of Egypt or the kingdom of Israel. But every household is a kingdom. I wish I had some help. I said every household is a kingdom. Why? Because Jesus is not the king of subjects and slaves. He is the king of other kings. So that everyone in the kingdom is a king. And has been made a king and a priest unto God. And everyone in the kingdom has been given territory to take. A realm over which you must rule and a domain to dominate everyone in the kingdom. Which is why when the children of Israel possessed the promised land, Joshua's first job was to divide it up by tribal region. Naphtali, you take this area. Gad, you take this area. Asher, you take this strip of land. Reuben, you take this. Simeon, you take that. Judah, that's your area. And then when the Land was divided by tribal regions. Then the heads of the tribes said to all the fathers in the tribe, that is your land. That is your land. Every family received an allocation of land. What does it mean? It means that every family has a territory, a realm, a domain over which you must dominate, farm, produce, and we all kings here. <coughs> That's what's meant by the year of Jubilee. You know what the year of Jubilee is? You could lease out your land for no longer than 50 years because in the 50th year it must go back to the title holder, which is the original family that Joshua gave the land to. 
You, you, you can, if you sell your land, you are Esau. Selling your birthright for a bowl of soup. But you could lease your land for no longer than 50 years. And the value of the lease depended on how close to the Jubilee you took out the lease. Because if you took the lease five years before the next Jubilee, then we can only get five years out of your land. The point is that every kingdom should be concerned with succession. Oh, Lord. Otherwise, Battersea dogs home. <laughs> and the cats home. And the botanical garden will inherit your estate. And your kingdom is confined to history because it has no future and no destiny. When God said, I will smite the firstborn of Egypt, he wasn't just saying, someone's going to die in every house. No, 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 no. Your future is going to die. Your plans for succession are going to die. And therefore, your kingdom is going to be run by people who were never trained to be kings. And it will signal the demise of the empire of Egypt. Because your next level of leaders were never trained to be kings. And everyone that was trained to be a king is going to die tonight. Y'all hearing this? You sure? So when God said, Israel, take a lamb, sacrifice the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost and the lintel of your house, roast the lamb. Eat the lamb, shut the door, eat the lamb with bitter herbs and unleavened bread with your belt fastened and shoes on your feet, bags packed, ready to leave. The Israelite had to value the firstborn in order to obey that command. Because you know, let's keep it real. For some of you, if you lived back then, God said, someone in the house is going to die. Some of you would be like, someone in the house need to die. <laughs> Either you're going to kill them or I'm going to kill them. Someone's going to kill somebody in here. I just <laughs> but God's, God's thing was, don't think about everyone in your house. Think about that one that you earmarked from birth to inherit the estate, the re responsibility, the business, and the blessing. Think about that one because if you lose that one, you don't have a future. 
I wish I had some help in here. If you lose that one, you don't have a future. So I stopped by to ask any, everyone here, do you have a future? Mm. Because this blood of the lamb is here to protect that future. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because all that blood's going to do, it's not sparing everyone in the house. It's sparing the one person in the house that was earmarked to lead the next wave. See, everyone was never going to die in the house. We say the blood protected the house, but the blood kept alive one person in the house. Because the future of the house relies on a person. The person is called a leader who from the beginning thinks like a leader, assumes responsibility like a leader, manages the others like a leader, has a vision of the, of the uh, propagation of a family like the leader. That one person who knows my job is to grow up, have a family. Oh, come on now. And carry this name into a next generation. That's my job. Because if the devil can kill that one, then he's killed the house. Y'all ain't going to help today. You kill that one, you killed the house. And the blood never saved all of the people in the house. It saved that one. And by saving that one, you saved the future of the house. Woo! <laughs> this is good preaching. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, are you that one? Yeah, yeah. Now, you don't have to be biologically firstborn to be that one. I need you to understand that. You don't have to be biologically firstborn in order to be that one. But you are that one. If your mind is thinking about succession and a future and building on the platform that I inherited to take it to another level, then you are that one. I, I, come on, look at your neighbor and say, are you that one? Now look at your other, other neighbor and say, I am that one. I am that one that God earmarked, chose, and designated from birth to take my bloodline to another level. My daddy was broke, but I'm going to break the curse of poverty over my bloodline. My mother was an alcoholic, but I am the one who will break that generational curse and take my family to the next level. You are that one. I just want that one up on your feet. Everybody else can sit down, but that one, get up on your feet and make some noise in here. Say, I am that one. I'm that one. I, I'm that one. I am that. I don't know. I don't know about you, but I am that one. I am not biologically born first, but I am that one. <laughs> 
I am biologically the youngest in my family, but by my life, the trajectory of my family changes. And my bloodline from this day forward will be demarked by my faith in the living God. And so I am that one. And the blood is there to protect me because I am the future of my house. You see, you see, we got, we got some. Let me take a seat. We got some problems here, cause, cause, cause we're not busy protecting that one. In some cases, we busy attacking that one. Oh, help me now. We busy criticizing that one, cause that one too big for her boots. That one think he's somebody special. That one don't want to hang out with us when we partying all night. That one want to read a book. It's been three days. I'm tired. I ain't going church today. But that one's coming. Even if they have to go on their ones, even if they have to get on a bus, even if they have to get on a train, that one values the presence of God and the presence of inspiration, motivation, and education and has made church a priority because you are that one. Now, I don't want to upset the others who are not that one, so let me help the rest of you that are not that one. And tell you that the only reason that you are saved is because that one is in your house. If that one wasn't in your house, you wouldn't even have a house. Come on, shout, I am that one. And the blood is there to protect that one. And in protecting that one, the whole house has a future. When you see a believer exhibiting, aspiring to, fumbling and practicing leadership, cover them. Don't criticize them, cover them. Oh my gosh, I need to say it again. I need to say it till it's like thunder in your soul. Cover them. Cover them. They may be your employer one day. You better cover them, build them up, and speak them up. They may be your boss one day. They may be your financier one day. They may be your counselor one day. They may be your MP one day. They may be your prime minister one day. They may be your pastor one day. Cover them and build them up. Because if you don't, you have the spirit of Cain. Don't need a death angel. We got you. You specialize in killing talent. 
You specialize in killing aspiration. We don't need a death angel. We got you, Cain. Do you know what God said to Cain? He said, Cain, why is your countenance fallen? What? What's wrong, bro? Then God said to him, if you do well, would you not be accepted? In other words, Cain, this is not Abel's issue. This is your issue. You're not doing well. You brought the least to the altar. And Abel brought the most to the altar. And now he's favored. You are annoyed. Oh, I got a word for somebody in here today. You know what makes a genuine spiritual father? Your success doesn't annoy him. Your success doesn't intimidate him. Your success does not belittle him. Your success makes him proud and bigs up his chest. That's what a spiritual father is. Are you hearing me today? Everyone shout, that one! If we don't save that one, we don't have a future. So we're going to put the blood on the doorpost. Not to save everyone. Because everyone's not at risk. Just that one. And we'll go through the whole ritual together. All of us are going to kill the lamb. All of us are going to put the blood on the door. All of us are going to do it to save that one. If we are going to be the genuine house of God, then we all make sacrifices to save that one. The future. So is it any surprise that of all the people that left Egypt, only a minority made it to the promised land? Yeah, because some people didn't survive the journey. Because they were never at risk in Egypt. That last plague was not a threat to them. They weren't concerned with leadership. And I, I'm going to start to close with this. I'm going to start to close. What does it mean when Bishop Malcolm says he's going to start to close? absolutely nothing it just sounds good it means nothing whatsoever I gotta start to close with it now it's biblical Paul he wrote an epistle and he said finally about four times finally <laughs> finally finally that's just what we do man that's how we roll we don't know when it's over it's over when God says so we just keep it rolling okay but, but, but I want you to think about this the reason that people who left didn't survive the journey is because each stage of the journey requires a new level of faith. Like the faith that got you out won't keep you through. The faith that gets you out won't get you through. And the faith that gets you through 
won't get you in. You, your level of faith has to keep rising. So I'm going to call it like this. Now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. Faith in the blood will get you out. But hope for the future will get you through. <laughs> Some people, I just need to get out. I just need to get out of this. And when you get out, what next? I don't know. I don't know what next. I'm just out. You ever been there before? The whole motivation is to get away from something, to get out of something, to avoid something. But once you're out, you're stuck. You stop growing. You stop. You stagnate because you're out now. It is hope that will keep you pressing through the wilderness. It, it has to shift from faith to hope. And it's, it's because I hope that I can endure the times without bread, without water, without... I can endure it because of my hope. Hope is what kept Nelson Mandela 27 years in a jail. Hope. Hope will get you through, but hope won't get you in. Love. Love. You have to love your future more than your past. And that's not easy. Because your past is real. You can remember it. Your future is imagined. You've never touched it. But if you can love what you see in your mind more than what you've seen with your eyes, you will cross over the Jordan and step in to your promised land. So I'm speaking to a generation of people right now. How much do you love the future that God showed you in your mind? Because if you love it more than you love your past, you will make the sacrifice, you will pay the price, you'll cross over the Jordan, you'll fight the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Gergesites, the Jebusites, because you believe it is your destiny to be the head and not the tail, to be above only and not beneath, to dwell in houses you didn't build, wells you didn't dig, vineyards you didn't plant, to eat the best of the land. That the future is better than the past. I, I, I'm just wondering, there's a few of you on your feet. The rest of you, we are going to get bamboo seats in our next building. Because you're way too comfortable. Now, let's take this to another level right now. Let's take this to another level right now. How much do you love the vision of the future that God has put in your heart? And how real is the future to you? If the future is real, then you can let go of the past. If the future is more abundant, then you can let go of the past. If the future is more blessed, you can let go of the curses in 
your pass. My faith will get me out. My hope will get me through. But my love for the vision will get me in. And all God needs is that one who loves the future more than the past. And when you find that one that loves the future more than the past, then everyone get together. Everyone slay the lamb. Everyone roast the lamb. Everyone eat the lamb. Not to save us, but to save that one. Because without that one, our house has no future. Come on, give Jesus a great big victory clap offering.